morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Wednesday Johnny Crypto could be joining us later in the episode, and I am very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Grayscale won their case against the SEC, potentially greenlighting a Bitcoin ETF in the USA. As tokenization of real-world assets is taking the world by storm, marking the beginning of what many are predicting to be a multi-trillion dollar market. And with the Ripple employee stating an inflection point is coming in the next two to three years, we break down the details, showing our community how the largest financial firms on the planet are in the process of going digital. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, this is a pretty exciting episode, not only because I survived the hurricane in Tampa last night. I want to give a shout out to everybody in Florida. I hope you're staying safe this morning. But also, we got some great news prepared. Bitcoin ETF could be on the way. We're going to discuss it. How you feel, my friend? Thanks for being here. I'm feeling outstanding, man. I, I'm glad that you're you're safe. Uh, I know we had talked about this morning. We weren't sure if we we're going to do the show, and then uh, you know I, I'm glad that you're okay, and I'm glad that we're doing the show because you know I think everyone misses you every time that you know we're not on. So uh, hopefully you know Johnny can uh, join. But yeah, man, yesterday was a good day. Uh, we did the uh, Blando Crypto episode, uh, so that keeps getting better, a little bit easier to do as we work out our technical stuff, but. Yeah, man. Uh, it's just going to be me and you, I think, for, for the most part, but it's going to be a great show. Well, we're bringing the energy today, Gonzo, and we already got 150 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button, and we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. I'm giving updates throughout the day. When we check out the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index, Gonzo, we are sitting in a neutral this morning, and believe it or not, that's up pretty significantly from where we were earlier this week. After the Bitcoin spot ETF news, it's got the financial firms excited, and we got the evidence to prove, to prove that today. The market is sitting at $1.08 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 48% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at $27,200. Ethereum, $1,700. XRP is $0.52. Cents, and Cardano sitting at $0.26 cents this morning. And guys, this is the major news out of America this morning as Grayscale's victory against the SEC clears a path for Bitcoin spot ETF approval. And we're going to start with our man, Joseph Lubin, explaining how Gary Gensler, actually, you know what? We're going to switch it up and go to Paul Gruel this morning. And he's going to explain the significance of this Grayscale win. When you see the ruling that was made today, what does it mean to you? Well, it's great to be on with you all. Uh, and what it means for, for, for Coinbase uh, and really for all of us in the industry is that Courts, once again, are stepping in to provide regulatory clarity where the SEC has refused to do it. Um, this was a unanimous opinion. You had a very strong analysis uh, written up by Judge Rao, joined by uh, Judge Edwards and Chief Judge Srinivasan. It just shows, again, that um, the SEC, uh, when it acts contrary to law, without regard for developing common rules and standards, is going to find itself held accountable in courts of law. So Gonzo, a little positive aspect about this whole thing is that if the SEC isn't going to provide us regulation, the courts will provide us regulation. And one of the positive aspects about this is that the courts have become much more crypto friendly than Gary Gensler and many of the representatives at the SEC. And believe it or not, SEC officials are actually fighting in-house right now because of this SEC lawsuit against NFTs, stating that many of their officials that are currently sitting in the agency disagree with the choice to attack NFTs. So it's interesting. We've got Bitcoin ETFs being approved. We've got Grayscale, uh, sorry, potentially being approved. We've got Grayscale winning their case, but also we've got SEC employees disagreeing with each other in-house. I'd like to hear what you think the significance of this news is, Gonzo. Yeah, and so I don't think so much that it's that the judges are crypto-friendly. I think that it's that they're just following an allegiance to the law. Like Judge Torres had made that um, announcement or she had made that statement that the SEC was not following the allegiance to the law. And so I think that's what you're seeing. Now, like when you look at um, the experts and what they said about this case when it first was going, they a lot of people didn't think that Grayscale was going to win because I don't remember the exact verbiage, 
But literally, the SEC could have came up with like any excuse, and it was going to be hard to counter their excuse, right? But I mean, it was so like egregious, though. The judge was so confused by what the SEC was doing that they lost the case. Now, this doesn't automatically mean that you're going to get a spot uh, Bitcoin ETF. What it means is, is that whatever excuse that the SEC was using and had been using for years to deny this thing, they can't use that anymore. That excuse is out the window. So now they have a choice. They can either approve one or they can come up with a new excuse. That's what we have to wait and see. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, they continue to like, and it's sad because when you look at it, like you saw what happened with uh, impact theory where they settled, right? Because they just don't have the money to fight the SEC. But what we're seeing is if you're a big enough entity and you have the money and you fight the SEC, you're probably going to win. Unfortunately, a lot of these companies or these protocols that get sued, they just don't have the financial backing to survive. So they just settle. So the SEC is basically like a big bully that's picking on you because you can't defend yourself. But every once in a while, it's going to come up against somebody that knows how to fight. It's going to punch them smack in the face like Ripple did, now Grayscale did, and soon Coinbase will. And this is what gets me excited, Gonzo. Currently, there's seven Bitcoin ETF applications sitting at the SEC. And these are some of the biggest names on the planet. BlackRock, Fidelity, Wisdom Tree, and several others have already filed to get a Bitcoin ETF approved. So do you believe, obviously we're one step closer, but do you believe we'll see a Bitcoin ETF before the end of 2024? I'm going to lean into that uh, we are not, right? Uh, they could obviously approve anything from this point, you know, forward. But like they just did, they just kind of delayed arcs. That was a couple of weeks ago. There's a big decision now that comes up this Friday where they, with, with these applications that you just showed, where they have to either, uh, they could delay again, right? And I think they're going to delay again. I think they, they're, they're letting the Grayscale thing kind of settle. They're probably going to look to see if they can come up with a different excuse to kind of reject it. But really, the, the date that I keep looking at is January 10th of 2024, because that is when ARC's application comes up to where the SEC either has to deny or approve. There is no more delay. And so are they going to like approve them all at once and then this all just kind of comes in? Or are they going to give some kind of reason for the denial and then we see what happens as the other dates come up? But that's the date that I'm looking at. History doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes, Gonzo. And as we look at bull markets in the past, we've always needed a major catalyst from a marketing standpoint. And I think this evidence right here shows you the next marketing catalyst for Bitcoin. Guys, we already got 202 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, institutions are draining exchanges when it comes to Bitcoin purchases over the last 30 days. Coinbase is down nearly 10,000 Bitcoin. Gemini is down 33,000 Bitcoin. Bybit is 14,000 and other exchanges are down 7,000 tokens in just the last 30 days. So this is literally evidence right in front of our faces that institutions are now buying up big amounts of XRP. Sorry, big amounts of Bitcoin. Someday XRP for our list. Someday it will be XRP. But they're buying up massive amounts of Bitcoin right now. And what I believe is they're gearing up to offer these spot Bitcoin products and now this is why it gets me excited because we had a video from a guy named Tom Lee come out earlier this month. And what he was describing is how he believes that Bitcoin could reach $185,000 in the next 24 months if we see a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. I always like hearing your price targets because you are so fearless. Um, where are you on Bitcoin by, by the end of next year, let's say? Uh, well, if the spot Bitcoin gets approved, yeah. I think the demand will be greater than the, the daily supply of Bitcoin. And so the clearing price, uh, this is done by Sean Farrell, who's our crypto digital strategist, is is over 150000 It could even be like 180000 And we, like we read a brand new report yesterday, Gonzo, where Fidelity, or I believe it was Fidelity, but I'll double check this information. They were predicting that by August 13th of 2025, Bitcoin's price would be above 149,000 by that point. It's going to take catalysts like this. So what do you think it's going to, what is it going to take for us to reach a hundred thousand, $150,000 Bitcoin price target? Um, you're going to see your, uh, narratives like this. You're going to see um, things like uh, regulation coming in, people feeling super FOMO. And, but I think the biggest catalyst is going to be the spot ETF. But do I think that it's going to get up to like those numbers? You know, I'm not sure we have diminishing returns 
uh, there's a formula that that some of the TA guys do that it's kind of like the law of 5.3. And when you look at that, you can you can kind of do a mathematical formula to call the tops of Bitcoin. You can go back and 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 it's like a, a, a where they multiply and it's like 5.3. So I don't exact the formula. But yeah. anyways, they've called the tops. And so by taking that in consideration, the next top should be around 93,000. Now I, I can, this is how they catch people and they trap people at the top, right? Like all this talk about 185,000, just remember where we were in the last bull market, right? When we were, we weren't even at like the all time high. What were people saying that we were going to hit a hundred, 150,000, right? And there were all these different catalysts that were happening during that time. And we topped out, we rolled over. So I think we're going to see something very similar that as we approach, let's say a hundred thousand, you're going to hear people saying 200. 500,000, they're going to catch people at the top. And eventually this thing's going to roll over like it always does because some version of the four-year cycles is still live and well, right? Um, I, I think I don't think that we're emulating 2019, but I think we're kind of emulating what happened in 2015 where we kind of went up and down, up and down, but it was up and to the right where, uh, you know, in 2019, we had we had the COVID, we had kind of like that spring and Wyckoff. I don't think we're going to break the 15-8 that I think the low is set. I, I think we could come down some more, but I don't think we're going to break that level. Those people that are saying that 12,000 is is in the cards, I, I just don't believe that. I, I think we're kind of doing something different. And as you can see, we got the catalyst of a lifetime on the horizon. As every time we get a Bitcoin halving, we experience massive price action. And as you can see in 2012, 2016, and 2020, the Bitcoin halving was a catalyst for price action on this particular project. And for now, guys, Bitcoin controls the crypto market. If any of our altcoins are going to run, we're going to need new buyers in Bitcoin. And luckily, like I just showed you, the institutions are buying right now. So before we move on, Gonzo, do you think we're going to see some sort of a supply shock that could lead to these drastically higher Bitcoin price targets? As you can tell, just in the last 30 days, Coinbase is down 10,000, Gemini is down 33,000, Bybit's down 14,000 Bitcoin. If it's not this, what could cause that supply shock? No, I, I think what it'll be is I, I think it's a narrative. You know, I mean, the, the technicals are, are there, but it's not like they're going to run out of Bitcoin. That's the way that the narrative will seem, though, right? Like that there are all this all this Bitcoin is flying out of the exchanges. Hurry up and buy. They're running out. Then you have your people that don't sell that, like just hold on to it. Right. And so that's always like that's what that's what the kind of the, the technicals show that a lot of the long term holders are buying up right now. And those guys never sell. But do I think I think those are all narratives that's going to fuel the next bull run. Um, and you're going to hear all these numbers that come out and they're going to blame or they're going to say that, OK, it's institutional buyers coming in and they're going to make it seem like all the Bitcoins being bought up and you need to buy now. And then that's like I said, that's how they catch people at the top. And look at this, Gonzo. If we're not going to adopt this technology in the U.S., it's just going to end up overseas as the leading Hong Kong-based trading protocol has finally listed XRP after the lawsuit. And this is really interesting because I think it goes to show how much of an impact the SEC lawsuit really had on global adoption of XRP, not just residing in the United States. So Hong Kong-based decentralized finance protocol Linear Finance has announced the listing of XRP on its trading platform. The move occurred over one month after XRP secured a victory in the SEC lawsuit. And I like that uh, language that's being used there. The liquid version of XRP, which is this symbol plus XRP, is now available for liquid trading on the exchange. And Linear Finance described the announcement as a surprise move to kick off the week. Now, what really caught my attention was this sentence right here, Gonzo. And I want to remind our listeners, we got 265 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a sentence that everybody should be aware of. As in quarter three of 2023, Hong Kong-based Fubon Bank has revealed plans to launch a real estate pilot for tokenized real estate program on Ripple's CBDC platform. We've got huge catalysts not only coming for Bitcoin, coming to the XRPL. And it's articles like this that lead to price action. Ripple's CBDC platform is becoming important in Singapore, the UAE. Now we've got development out of Hong Kong, Gonzo. So let me ask you, once we see this development inside of China, are we going to see pressure happening in the U.S. to now adopt these technologies? I would hope so, because that means that they're going to continue to fall behind. You know, we're already behind when it comes to regulation. Um, and so the only chance that I think that we have is to catch up through adoption. 
And so, you know, we were all waiting for the end of the lawsuit uh, and we finally got that. And so, and but I'm sure like, you know, Johnny talks about NDAs all the time. I'm sure like they don't roll this thing out like overnight. So I'm sure whoever's going to implement the technology, like the B of A's of the world, they're already doing that. They just haven't said anything about it because it takes time. You see like everything that's happened with Merlin and how, how much time has taken us to roll it out because it's all tech, right? It has to be tested. Uh, it has to break. You have to fix it. You have bugs. You have all this different stuff. So I'm pretty sure that behind the scenes, they just haven't disclosed it yet. They're building rails and they're using this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it'll just seem like it's overnight. Once they make the announcements, like everything's ready to go and they just kind of just start using it. Um, but, you know, so Brad Darling, I want to ask one thing. I'm going to kick it straight back to you. I think one of the things people are most excited about when it comes to these technologies is the tokenization of real world assets. And what we're seeing right now is that Hong Kong is going to be tokenizing assets on top of the XRPL compatible blockchain. All of these CBDCs, and we got confirmation of this from Ripple, are either built on the XRPL or they can communicate with the XRPL. And that means one thing. XRP is going to be the bridge asset between these tokenized new digital assets. So there's a, there's a lot of verbatim there. But what I'm really trying to say is that when we get this massive amount of real-world assets coming onto the blockchain, I don't think it's going to happen independently. I don't think that's just going to take place in Asia or in Europe or in Africa. I think it's going to be a global movement so is this a catalyst for that global movement, Hong Kong tokenizing real estate using Ripple CBDC's platform? Yeah, I, I think um, everybody's going to look at it. And if it's successful, then they're going to implement it, right? Like any other technology. But like, this is what it was built for, like the XRPL. Um, you know, we've talked about this before and the tokenization of assets. And to see how like popular it can be and the amount of money that can flow through it, just look at ETFs. Like ETFs are kind of basically tokenization of assets. You can wrap up different things into an ETF and then people invest in them. You see how, much, how popular they are, right? Like when it comes to like the traditional finance world. And so this is just like the digitization of like an ETF. It's tokenizing. You know, we've had Quincy on here that's talk about this. It's basically like moving liquidity value that you don't usually have, or it makes it very difficult. We have the, all this friction, right? So if you have gold that you want to sell into a stock that you want to sell into a commodity, it's very difficult to do that. There's a lot of friction, but once you tokenize these things, the value or the money is going to flow very freely. Um, and, and that's really where, the, where the, like the value is. And that's where the price appreciation comes from. And Gonzo, this is something I want to highlight for our listeners. I don't know if I've seen people cover this on other channels, but Blockchain Backer talked to me and Johnny Crypto about this at XRP Las Vegas. So as you can see with this Bitcoin chart, the halving is typically a catalyst. But as you look closely, you'll notice some structural differences between each of these patterns. Now, as you can see with the Bitcoin halving in 2012, it was before the halving that it actually started to turn bullish for the market. As you can see, these are monthly candles. So we're looking at two or three months before the halving, the market was turning bullish. In 2016, it was something similar, but not exactly the same as the market just turned bullish at the exact time of the Bitcoin halving. When we fast forward to 2020, we did have a COVID crash. But what you can see here, guys, is that we got bullish momentum leading into the halving, three months of red candles, and then a huge bull run, which inevitably took us all the way to $65,000. Now, what are we seeing here in 2023? We're seeing something interesting. Red momentum, green candles. I'm expecting over the next two or three months, we're going to see some red candles. Now, that would not put me in a negative state of mind when looking at Bitcoin. It would actually be a positive to backtest those levels and lead us into that 2025 bull run. And guys, we already got 300 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're going to be diving into the, some of the most important information after this Bitcoin price chart analysis because believe it or not, the XRPL could be receiving an upgrade from some of their developers. And this is something I haven't seen other channels cover as well. But Gonzo, do you believe that we're going to see something similar to the past? The Bitcoin having, it's not going to be an instant catalyst for the, for the price, but in due time, it will have its effect. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the Bitcoin having is just one part of it, but I, I think it's just matching up. Raul Paul's talked about this, and I think even blockchain backers talked about this. It has to do more with, I think, the liquidity cycle and the business cycle, right? What we're lacking right now and why, you know, we got huge volume yesterday on the news, but we didn't even hit resistance, which is at about 28.5. And it's just because we don't have liquidity, right? It has to do with the macro. So we really need like um, 
global liquidity liquidity to come into this market to kind of push this thing up, right? We're still kind of dealing with the Fed and what's going to happen. Are they going to continue to raise rates? Are we going to go flat? Are they going to break anything else? You know, we're all still paying attention to that. So I think all these things are going to get resolved next year. But, um, you know, I think it's a combination of things, but like we just don't have the interest. That's why you got like volume, but we didn't hit quite resistance. Uh, but next year, I think is going to be a different story as like what's happening with the Fed gets resolved. Right. And then we get more retail coming in and you get more of that FOMO that that's where we get the price appreciation. Like, and I think you're right. I think the next few months, September's have been like a notorious month for like being red. Um, I, I think we've had like 17% corrections. We've had seven to 9% correction. I want to say, and then in a couple of them were like one to three. I think the average overall is like a seven to 9% correction in September. Now we can do something different, right? But statistically speaking, it looks like we're going to have a red month in September because that's what we've always done. And the question that I posted in the live chat this morning, Gonzo, was do you believe Will we see a spot Bitcoin ETF approved before the end of 2024? If we're looking at the Bitcoin price chart, I think many of our listeners who say yes would anticipate the same price action. I want to make this very clear. The reason Bitcoin will increase in price is the supply shock that will take place when all of these institutions are buying Bitcoin to offer it to their customers. And I think it's a good time to actually get into the Grayscale news for today. As Grayscale's victory against the SEC clears a path for Bitcoin spot ETFs in the United States, the ruling increases the likelihood that the SEC might approve all Bitcoin ETF applications together at the same time. So you want to talk about a supply shock, that could be the catalyst of a lifetime. Grayscale has secured a second landmark win for the crypto industry against the SEC following Ripple's favorable ruling last month. A federal court ruled on Tuesday that the SEC must review its rejection of Grayscale's attempt to convert GBTC into an exchange-traded fund, aka an ETF. The ruling likely clears a path for a spot Bitcoin ETF and increases the chances that the SEC might approve all the current applications together. ETFs allow market participants to invest in cryptocurrency without having to purchase the underlying digital asset themselves. And believe it or not, a lot of our listeners are younger, I would say under 50. This isn't who they're focused on. What they're focused on is the people who have no exposure to this market hear about Bitcoin. My uncle is a great example, 45 years old terrified of the crypto market. Every time we talk about crypto, he gives me a little backhanded compliment and asks me what he should be doing. But these are the catalysts that he pays attention to. When his Fidelity account says, hey, would you like to purchase 1% of your 401k? Would you like to allocate that to Bitcoin going forward? He will say yes. And he will come to me and say, oh, congratulations. Guess what? Fidelity just offered me Bitcoin. So now I'm going to purchase it. So this is why it's a huge catalyst for the market. The court's decision does not allow for GBTC's product to be converted into an ETF immediately, but it does give a fair basis for Grayscale to be treated in line with other Bitcoin ETF applications. Likely date for approval are starting next week, and that's going to be the first time the SEC reviews these documents, but it's likely that they won't approve anything until early 2024, which is why we asked the question, guys, by the end of 2024, do you think we could see a Bitcoin ETF in the United States? And Gonzo, I'm going to kick it over to you. Is this really the catalyst that I'm making out to be? Feel free to be critical of my narrative here. What I think is that spot Bitcoin ETF is going to lead to a supply shock, and that's how we're going to get above $100,000 for Bitcoin. Do you think I'm fair in making that assumption? Feel free to disagree. Yeah, because when you when you look at it, uh, you know it's uh, it's not going to be regulation, right? Because I understand that the only asset that has regulatory clarity or through the law is XRP, right? But the SEC has already come out and said that Bitcoin is a commodity. So that's already there, right? Like in their eyes, regulatory clarity is there for Bitcoin. I understand the arguments against that. So you need something else. So I think it is going to be the spot ETF that's going to fuel it, right? You could see regulation fueling the altcoins because we get clarity on whether they're securities or not securities, right? But I, I think in the next bull run, you're going to see a combination of the both. You're going to see like, um, this spot ETF coming in. Cause if you think about it, like think about like BlackRock and everyone that kind of follows what BlackRock does and Fidelity and Vanguard and all these other big traditional finance companies. Once this thing gets approved, they, that machine is going to push this thing forward and all of traditional finance and all of these like 401ks and all of these hedge funds will be able to go in and invest. 
And, and, and the big issue with the GBTC trust was that you couldn't access the underlying asset. It was kind of faulty the way it was set up. You had the premium and then right now, like the premium is closing, right? That gap is closing between the price of Bitcoin and then the price uh, of, of the trust. Uh, and that's why they've been trying to convert it, right? Because when you have a spot ETF, you can actually access the underlying asset. In this, in this case, it's Bitcoin. So sometimes you're going to have more Bitcoin in the trust. And sometimes you can liquidate that and you can have more shares. It's kind of like a balancing act that they do. Um, so when this thing gets approved, all of the I think all of the applications will get approved at once. So you're going to have them all coming in and buying or that's the narrative you can see that they're probably already going to start buying because we're at lower prices, but the narrative B they're buying now. Right. And everyone's going to come in and buy and it's going to push the price up. So that's definitely the narrative of the next bull run. And then I think the other narratives that you're going to see is it's going to come through like regulation and clarity. And then just like it always does, right. Until something happens that's different. You have money that flows into Bitcoin, Bitcoin dominance spikes, Bitcoin dominance drops and then liquidity drops from ETH to the uh, big alts and then mid caps and then small caps. And then we go through the cycle all over again. Guys, one of our listeners commented, since it's just abs and gonzo this morning, is this 2T? I guess for today, this is the is. 2T Warrior Academy. And I'm just kidding for our listeners out there. And we got 316 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're talking a lot about Bitcoin, but there is another historic transition in finance happening today. And it starts with the central banks. And what we're going to go down a rabbit hole right now, explaining how November of 2023 could be finally the moment where banks become ISO compliant. Now, this is a great discussion. I want to get the live chat involved. So before we close out the Bitcoin conversation, put a one in the live chat. If you think Bitcoin will be above 100,000 during the next bull market, that could be by the end of 2026. Put a two in the live chat. If you think Bitcoin is going to stay below 100,000, all the way until 2026. I'd love to hear from our listeners. So this is the transition of a lifetime that's currently taking place today. And this is just food for thought from the ISO GOAT on Twitter. So these organizations are some of the leading payment providers globally, extending far outside of the United States, such as SEPA, which is at the top of this document. They're the leading payment provider in Europe. We've also got SWIFT standards here, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, HSBC, Citibank, and Fed now coming in at the bottom of this list. And as you can tell, Gonzo, the release slash implementation of their new ISO system is going to come into effect on November 19th, 2023. And the reason that I'm saying it in that manner is because this is coming directly from SWIFT's website. So I'm going to read a quick document and we'll talk about this thing. The SWIFT 2023 functionality can be activated via a central switch, aka the switch of the flip or the, the flip of the switch. The new functionality can be switched on and off inside of the application, allowing to view and test the functionality before the activation date of November, 2023. Many of our listeners are anticipating that November, when we see ISO compliance come into effect, could be a huge catalyst for projects like XRP, Quant Network, XLM. That's not my approach. That's not exactly what I'm saying here. What I am saying is that we're seeing a shift take place and it starts early. It starts in 2023. But by 2025, that's when this technology comes into full effect. And there's one other thing I'd like to say before I kick it to you, Gonzo. I was reading a SWIFT document earlier last night, and it was talking about ISO compliance. And what it said is that by March of 2026, banks will have no choice but to have the ISO compliance switch ready to roll at their firm. So even if they decide to stay with the traditional system, they must be ISO compliant by then. Do you think this could be a major catalyst for some of the altcoins, or what are you taking away from these developments? Yeah, so it's a messaging standard, right? And so it makes sense that they all have to be on the same messaging system so they can all communicate, right? We all know that the financial system needs a revamp, but I definitely could see something as far as like a narrative, right? We're going to get a correction in Bitcoin that's going to beat up the altcoins. And then I could definitely see as, as Bitcoin dominance rises and then it drops, right? And it stabilizes to where we're going to go to at the end of the year. I can see narratives like this helping out with the altcoins, pushing them up, especially when it comes to projects like XDC, XRP, XLM, HBAR. We're going to start to see more news. Like we're hoping, like obviously the ISO is a messaging standard. And so, but we're hoping that it, there's a direct correlation there between that 
and then all of the ISO tokens that are compliant, right? That yep. that technology is going to start being used. So it, it remains to be seen. I, I think they're starting to build stuff, um, but I could definitely see that as a narrative starting to push. I mean, you see, like, look at XTC. XTC has done extremely well, right? When you when you look at what what it's done over the last couple of months, it's performed very very well, um, and it just continues you know to make higher lows and higher highs. We only got, we got 313 people here. I'm going to share a little inside information that me and Quincy had a private conversation one night on the phone. And what he was telling me is that he's privately developing a system right now where institutions can tap into XDC and transfer that liquidity instantly to any bank in the world. And we covered a video yesterday or an article yesterday that cited XDC currently is already tokenizing United States treasuries. Right now, that's a $600 million market. Last year, it was a $100 million market. In 12 months alone, we've seen the market do a 6X. And I think we're going to see something very similar in the future where Citibank was predicting that tokenized assets, this isn't going to be on one blockchain, but overall tokenized assets will reach $8 trillion by the end of the next bull run. They said by 2026, we're going to see $8 trillion in tokenized assets coming to these blockchains. Do you agree, Gonzo? And we'll continue. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, XDC, all you have to see is how it's performed. Like when you're looking, as far as an investment thesis, not financial advice, but this is what I look for, right? What projects are doing well in a bear market have come off their bottoms and continue to make its simple trend, right? Higher highs and higher lows. And XTC has continued to do that. It's performed very well throughout this bear market. You see other projects that have been a continuous just downtrend. Like like Algorand, I love Algorand. It's a big part of my holdings. But like when you look at that chart, it is very, very beat up. Like it is just one continuous downtrend. And then you look at something like XTC, right? Where it has done extremely well. Now that could be because we're seeing the actual utility of XTC being used and it's reflecting in the price action. So definitely, um, you know, one of my, as I'm DCAing, XTC is one of the things that I'm DCAing to because I think it's going to do extremely well in the next bull run. Mar- uh, Gonzo, you brought up something very interesting, which is that Algorand's taken a major hit in the price chart, but they've also taken a major hit with their reputation as Gary Gensler is now trying to accuse them of being an unregistered security. But this is some positive news for our Algorand holders out there. The ISDA, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, does 1.2 quadrillion in volume per year. There are only two blockchain companies currently partnered with that organization. Number one is Ripple. Number two is Algorand. And there's also a crypto exchange, Crypto.com, partnered with that organization. So we've often said, what's more important, Gary Gensler's opinion or the ISDA? I think many of our listeners would agree it's the ISDA. But this is what I wanted to focus on for just a minute here, Gonzo, is I'm showing our listeners the XDC price chart since inception. And look at this. When you go to inception, when this token was first launched in May of 2021, it was valued at about six or seven cents. We quickly went up all the way to about 19 cents and we've down traced, bottomed out and are heading back up with some momentum here. And we got it last month. When we heard that tokenized assets were coming to XDC, it was a major catalyst for the price. So when we see utility come into effect, I think that's when this project's really going to skyrocket. Do you believe we'll see tokenized assets affect this market during the next bull run? Yeah, I do. Um, you could already see it. Like you just see a few stories and look at how it's affected the, the price of XTC. So definitely like we're kind of entering this phase, like, like we're in that they fight you stage, but like what, what this technology is going to do it is kind of being the foundation is being built as we speak. And the next generation of what it looks like is happening right now, whether it's like Ethereum with layer twos, whether it's all of the ISO tokens, all of that stuff is being built. And so as like we get regulatory clarity and we get into the next phase, then all they're going to do is just build, right? The infrastructure is being built right now. And then it's the stuff that is on top of that foundation where we're going to see serious price appreciation. Or when people talk about utility, like actually having a utility bull run, I think we're going to see some of it next bull run, but it's really like, two bull run from now, because unless, right, unless we get regulation and we get all of that clarity wrapped up, then maybe, but I don't think we will. So I think it's really like, we're that early, right? In two bull runs, it's where all the regulation will be settled. 
all the infrastructure will be built and then it's building on top of it, right? It's the same thing that happened like with web two to web three, right? When you, when you look about like what happened with Facebook and all of these other applications that were built, they were built on top of, uh, of web two where you couldn't really interact, right? And then now look what it became. So that's how early we are. It's what they're gonna build on top of all of this infrastructure where I think we'll see like the true utility and then that's where we get all the price appreciation because all the other stuff needs to go away too, right? We have like 20,000 different cryptocurrencies. Some of them are scams. Some of them are garbage. Like we really need regulation to come in to clarify things and wash some of that away so that liquidity can come into the real projects. And then that's where this really, I think that's where it really takes off. Guys, if you're watching this and you have access to a Twitter account, get on Twitter right now and tweet at Johnny Crypto. Good morning, crypto is waiting for you right now. But guys, this is a video I'm very excited to show you. Is This is Joseph Lubin endorsing Gary Gensler, calling him the savior for decentralization. No, this is not satire. This is an actual video. Gary Gensler and the SEC are doing a great job of driving projects in our ecosystem to radically decentralize themselves. Um, I could even call Gary the, uh, the shining knight uh, of decentralization. If Gary Gensler is the shining knight of decentralization, we are in big trouble, my friends. We need a new knight to represent our community. And Gonzo, I just thought that was worth playing for our listeners. Gary Gensler is obviously not the white knight or the silver knight, whatever he called him for decentralization. But I do think he's going to be the black swan catalyst. They're going to use him as a figurehead, as somebody who is shutting down crypto innovation in the United States. And what's really interesting is this video, I wanted to check the audio on this for our listeners. This is Larry Fink, BlackRock CEO, having a conversation similar to what we discussed earlier this week. For young people to get excited about crypto, they have to think there's money to be made. And what he said is that when young people start holding crypto for the long term, that's when he thinks the next generation of finance will be born. I'm going to test the audio on this. If it goes blank, I'll just I'll document it myself. Yeah, it's low. It's very short. So what he says in this clip is, as I've said in the past, I'm very excited about the young people investing for the long term. The issue of retirement may be less of a problem for the next generation. And he's basically enticing people, hold cryptocurrency so you don't have to dip into your 401k. This is something we discussed with Eleanor Tourette on Friday, Gonzo. Larry Fink has changed his opinion publicly on crypto, but privately, I guess he's also changed his stance. So I just threw a lot at you. Give me a second here. I'm going to pull up a very cool video from the BIS. Yeah, you know, it's the whole thing is like a wealth transfer. So you think about like all the money that's going from the baby boomers that are starting to, you know, pass away and they're moving their wealth to their kids and their grandkids. Um, so he's not wrong, right? But, you know, why did he have a, a, a change of stance? It's because he sees that there's money to be made, right? But when he's right, though, we're, we're so early, but when you look at this thing, and when people look at this, like they look at stocks as long-term investments, um, that's where these guys are going to make a shit ton of money. And hopefully we make a shit ton of money, right? That's, that's why we're here. We're here early, right? Um, you know, we get, there's going to be a day where, like we said, this is the 12th sector, right? People look at us right now and they laugh at us, right? Like people like, what do you do? Crypto what? Like that, that's a scam or like maybe they know about Bitcoin, but like, you know, people know that I do this show and do all this stuff and I, and I get laughed at. But when we're talking about, you know, five, 10 years down the road, this is going to be the norm, right? This is what everyone's going to be investing in because this is the future. This is the future of rails, right? This is a total revamp of the financial system. And we're just early. Here's some more evidence of just how early we are, Gonzo, is this is a representative for the BIS. And this is a, a video that was taken at Davos in 2020. Guys, this is not about Bitcoin. This is about central bank digital currencies. But in this video, they describe something a little bit different. Where do you see the biggest advantage to stable coins? Well, it's about, uh, it's about having a technology that, uh, that cuts across borders and that can help cut the, the cost and, uh, and, uh, and improve the speed of cross-border payments, which everyone agrees now uh, are too slow and, and too costly. So I would say the, the top priority for the global community is not about CBDC. CBDC will come in, so central bank digital currency, it will come in due course in different ways, and mm -hmm. uh, we're working on it. But the top urgent priority is to improve uh, cross-border payments, in particular for uh, low-income and developing economies, because that's a matter of financial inclusion, and that's a matter right. of growth for the global economy. It is not about CBDC. CBDC will come in, so central bank digital currency, 
it will come in due course in different ways and right. we're working on it but the top urgent priority is to improve uh, cross-border payments in particular for uh, low-income and developing economies because and this is what's interesting gonzo they're targeting low-income and developing economies for one reason that's where the majority of people who lie outside of our banking system exist and one of our listeners, Tim, Tim Tinfoil Hat, said, you guys think Larry Fink didn't know about that from the beginning? No, that is not what we're saying. We're saying we didn't think Larry Fink would go public about that until right now. And that's what's pretty exciting for our listeners. A lot of these conversations have been happening behind closed doors, and now they're making it to the public eye. And Gonzo, this is what I really wanted to focus on. The BIS and Ripple are already partnered in a cross-border uh, payments task force. So I think it's safe to assume they're going to be practicing at least with the XRPL. How do you feel about CBDCs being inevitable, but this being where the real value lies? You know, it, it sucks because we all know, look, it's technology, right? And so technology is not good or bad. It's what they do with it. And unfortunately, time and time again, we've seen what governments do when they get too much power, right? And so that's why we always th say that CBDCs are bad because it's going to be full control of your money. They're able to turn it on, turn it off, right? It's how they're going to set up as they eradicate the middle class and we're left with either poor, or extremely rich, right? That's where the UBI comes in, right? They're going to use it through a central bank digital currency. But what he's talking about is like, what's going to come first is stable coins, right? Cause they need to get you used to using it first. So they come out with the stable coins first, right? And then eventually it'll evolve into a CBDC and, and it sucks. We're not proponents of CBDC. That's the big thing with ripple, right? Like we all love ripple, the company, but we understand that they're building the rails for CBDCs, right? And it's not that we love CBDCs. It's that we're trying to invest something so that we can create wealth for our families, for our communities, so that we have choices, so that we don't get stuck in that extremely poor right area. And then we're stuck taking UBI or CBDCs so that we can build wealth and then we can go where we're treated the best, wherever that is. If that's here in the US, then great. If it's somewhere else, then we, we have that ability to do that. That's like kind of the whole point. And so that's why like it's a conflicting thing, right? We love Ripple, we love XRP, but we understand what they're building and we're just trying to get in on the opportunity. Exactly, Gonzo. And that's the way I look at it. Stuart Alderati was doubling down as well, stating that we could see adoption with XRP and the XRPL take place this year. I'm going to read some recent statements from Stuart Alderati right now. In a recent interview, representatives said that they think many banks will want to use XRP in aid to their cross-border payments. Ripple wants XRP to be the primary cross-border payments tool, and they've been working towards this since the beginning of 2014. The company stated it's already engaged in several talks with banks and other traditional institutions throughout the United States about the use of XRP and payments being sent across international borders. Stuart Alderati said, I think we're hopeful that this decision would give financial institutional customers or potential customers comfort to at least come in and start having a conversation about what problems they're experiencing in their business. Hopefully this year, we sorry, hopefully this quarter, we will generate a lot of conversations in the United States with customers and hopefully some of those conversations will turn into real business. One other quick detail about Ripple here is Ripple is one of the largest companies around the world and employs more than 900 people with only half of them residing in the United States. And Gonzo, we talked for months about how once the monkey is off Ripple's back, there's not much holding them from using this token. I'm going to kick it to you. Somebody's at my door. Yeah, you know, hopefully we just see that in, in price appreciation. And, and I think we will, right? I, I think the big issue is that we're in the middle of coming out of a, of a bear market. I think the bottom is in for now. Like we've said, you know, Bitcoin is the energy of the market. But I think when Bitcoin runs and everything that runs with it, XRP is going to do extremely well. I think we're going to get to a point like everybody talks about when we talk about regulation giving us clarity and then we're and the infrastructure being built. And then the utility kicks in. I think that's where when people talk about, okay, can XRP overtake Bitcoin? It's going to take an actual, like Justin always talks about, an actual utility run, right? Because Bitcoin is a store of value. It's not a very good payment system. We know what XRP is capable of, but we just need to be patient enough to wait 
for utility to actually kick in and to these projects to be based on utility, not just speculation. And right now we're kind of just like in that speculation where we're riding these waves, but you know what? There's still wealth to be created so that when we get an opportunity to get in at the bottom again, before utility kicks in, uh, it's another opportunity for price appreciation. But until that happens, Bitcoin runs the market, someday utility kicks in and these other projects that have better utility, I think will overtake it. Guys, one of the rules about uh, these international organizations is they have to tell you what they're doing before they program the masses. And as you can tell, this is a message from a leader at the World Economic Forum stating that cash will soon be a thing of the past. Space and across time. So once one thinks about how money accomplishes this clearly, the appearance of paper currency, which as it happened, uh, was in China in the seventh century, was a remarkable transformation. The appearance of um, unbacked fiat currency under the regime of Kublai Khan, again in China in the 13th century, was a remarkable advance. But now we're at the cusp of physical currency essentially disappearing. Space. We are on the cusp of physical currency disappearing. And Gonzo, what does that mean? It's not going to vanish into the abyss. It's going to be replaced by a new technology this is basically the World Economic Forum acknowledging blockchain, payments, are digital going forward, and cash, the physical paper that we hold in our pocket. I don't think my kids will be holding much of that. So I just want to get your thoughts, and then we'll continue. Yeah, like, I, you know, as my granddaughter grows up, you know, she's going to have a digital wallet, and, and we're going to have less and less cash. You already saw with the whole C19 thing, like, there was a big push to get away from cash, and we're going to continue to see those narratives where cash goes away. Why? Because even though they try to blame cryptocurrency for all the nefarious things, we all know that it's actually cash that's used for all those things. The other problem though with cash is that they can't tax it, right? They can't control it. So they're going to come up with whatever narratives they can to get rid of it, to completely digitize us so that they can get their piece of it, right? So they can get their taxes and they can control all of it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, um, my granddaughter, uh, will grow up in a world where everything is digitized and where she has a digital wallet. And the biggest organizations on the planet are finally acknowledging that, Gonzo. Here's, some, here's a little rabbit hole information for our listeners connecting Grayscale, JP Morgan, and Ripple all in the same narrative. And we got 296 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button on this Wednesday. And guys, these are the types of, of relationships that we've often highlighted on our channel because we understand regulation's not fair. It's not about what you know, it's who you know. And ex-JP Morgan and current CEO of Grayscale, Michael, can't pronounce his last name, became Grayscale's CEO on the first, on January 7th of 2021. This was immediately following the SEC's lawsuit against Ripple. Grayscale would then dissolve their XRP trust just six days later. And JP Morgan guys are always on the tip of the sword when it comes to stabbing XRP in the back. Now, as you can tell, JP Morgan associate for quite a while, but it does date back all the way to 2014. Now he's the chief executive officer for Grayscale Investment Trust. And the reason this is so important, Gonzo, they delisted XRP because of the lawsuit. They are yet to relist XRP in some of their investment trusts. I think that's something that could be coming very soon. But what do you think about this whole analysis here and the fact that Grayscale could soon be listing XRP? Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't really have an opinion uh, on it, Abs, but... I can tell you that it seems like they're all going to pick their different horse to bet on. You know, it seems like JP Morgan has leaned into Ethereum and they have their own blockchain and what, what's to come with that. Some of these guys are going to lean in on XRP, XDC, uh, some of those systems. You know, you have some that, are, that probably haven't even built yet, right? Some that are going to lean into layer twos. Um, and so they're all going to pick their horse and then we'll see at the end of the day who wins. We know that what when we talk about like XRP and XDC uh, and XLM and the other ones that are like that, they, they're built for the finance where they're built to move money, to move value efficiently. Right. And so that tech is way better than the other tech. But like you always say, that the best tech doesn't always win. We hope that it does. But, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out at the end. I want to ask our listeners, is this an article you're interested in going over, guys? I got a couple of things prepared, but I'm going to ask the live chat right now. If you'd like me to go over this Ben Armstrong allegation and the whole debacle going on at BitBoy Network, throw a one in the live chat. If you're not interested, 
throw a two in the live chat and we'll save this for another show because I really will only go over this if our if our listeners are very interested in that information. And guys, we already got 306 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And really quick, we're going to show you the second half of this video from Paul Gruel explaining how the catalyst is right around the corner. That nobody here has a crystal ball, but within your own dealings with the SEC, do you expect that they would just take this? Or do you expect them to put up more of a fight when it comes to either this rulings or rulings like it? I mean, there are a lot of outstanding lawsuits when it comes to how it's dealing with the crypto industry. Well, there's certainly been no shortage of resolve on the SEC's part. And it's true that in this case, you could see a request for further uh, rehearing on bank or even a petition for uh, cert review by the Supreme Court. But I think the, the, the wiser course, the, the better course, not just for uh, the SEC, but for the industry as a whole, is for the SEC to take a pause and to take to heart the lessons that the DC Circuit was, was encouraging it to consider in this ruling. Uh, yes, it's possible that on remand, the SEC could come up with new reasons, new excuses why this product should be, or this conversion should be rejected. But it's also an opportunity, I think, for the commission to acknowledge that its course of action, its approach to regulating crypto isn't working. It's not too late to get this right. We think this offers an excellent opportunity for, for the commission to take a pause on its approach and adopt a much more productive, much more effective uh, uh, means of bringing clarity and uh, certainty to this market. Well, Paul Gruel is definitely feeling optimistic this morning, Gonzo, as they lost the case, but I don't think they're using it as a point of reflection. I think we're probably going to see a fire back from the SEC. So a lot of our listeners do want me to go over the BitBoy information, so we will go over that right now. But Gonzo, give me your thoughts. Is Paul Gruel right? This is an opportunity for the SEC to self-reflect. I, I don't think it's so much about that they're going to self-reflect, but I think they're, they're going to pause. They've taken some major L's. And so I think the whole thing is a stall tactic. And what they're going to do is they're going to approve BlackRock's um, ETF application along with all the other ones, and they're going to do it all at once. So I think this just gives them the excuse to kind of approve it, but I still think we're a few months away. I think it'll be something for next year, but, um, you know, he definitely has to do something because he's taken some major L's, uh, and even some of like the Democrats who put him in power are, are starting to kind of distance themselves. So, you know, he's on, borrow time is what I'm saying. And so I, I think that he'll give them that win to show that he's not biased, even though we know he's extremely biased. Right. Gonzo, I think we should start calling him Larry Genzer instead of Gary Genzer after all the L's he's been taking recently. <laughs> right. But this, this is a cool way to end the show. We're going to be pretty positive about this guys, but I'm going to provide the real information that's happening right now. As Ben Armstrong calls the allegations diabolical and alleges bribery at BitBoy's Crypto Network. And this is a little bit off cuff here, guys. We got 301 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I really hope you enjoyed the show today. So first of all, for anybody who doesn't know, BJ Investment Holdings, the parent company of Hit Network and BitBoy Crypto, removed the crypto personality and YouTuber Ben Armstrong from its company this week, claiming that Armstrong suffered from substance abuse and alleged that he caused emotional and physical as well as financial damage to the company. Armstrong fired back and said that this conflict is far from over. The decision, the difficult decision is a culmination of a prolonged effort to help Ben during his relapse into substance abuse. And this is what's being debated in this article, as well as a reconcile of emotional, physical, and financial damage he has done to the employees of Hit Network in the BitBoy community. Now, as I scroll down to the bottom of this article, you're going to see some shocking information here. Justin Williams and TJ have cooked up a plot because I take diet pills, said Ben Armstrong, and I take Fetamine. So what is Fetamine, guys? Gonzo broke it down a little bit before the show. It's a dietary supplement similar to Adderall or methamphetamine. Well, it's not methamphetamine, but it is methamphetamine, and it suppresses your hunger. So It's amphetamine, not methamphetamine. Methamphetamine is the illegal drug, right? It's what he was addicted to before. But yeah, you're right. It's an amphetamine. You, you need to be prescribed by your doctor. Interesting. Sorry, go ahead. And so what's interesting about this is they're spinning that dietary supplement as an excuse for drug abuse. So here are some of the, some of the real... I guess, important details. Ben Armstrong said, they're using this to get me out of my own company, explaining that his name was previously removed from Hit Network's offices, as well as the branding associated in the past. Armstrong doubled all of his alleged behavior as diabolical and insane, but a high-level network Hit employee familiar with the matter told Decrypt that the company is not alleging hard drug abuse, but instead 
that Armstrong is consuming a cocktail of substances that the employee claimed is impairing Armstrong's judgment. In a Discord call, Armstrong said that he never enacted physical violence on his coworkers, but did once threaten Sheed, which is TJ, I believe, on the show. He said, I threatened to beat the crap out of TJ when I found out that he was trying to take everything from me, Armstrong said. He's trying to strip every single thing from me. The Hit Network employee confirmed that TJ was threatened, but it added that many people were also threatened and alleged that physical confrontations did occur. The conflict at Hit Network has been reportedly ongoing for many months, and in a Tuesday call, Armstrong also alleged that bribery occurred at the network. They're literally bribing employees, said Brett Armstrong, uh, Ben Armstrong. One of the employees came to me the other day and said, hey, you know TJ talked to me, and TJ told me everything that's going on. He said you were doing... I don't know if I should say this word, but a white substance that goes in your nose. And then he gave him three and a half Ethereum. But the hip network employee familiar with the matter has denied these allegations, claiming that he would not comment on the matter because it was false. Ben Armstrong also said that the company would make zero dollars without me, as all of our major sponsorships have already pulled out. So they don't really have a choice here. This is going to get extremely dirty before it gets better, said Armstrong. Well, a hit network employee responded to that as well and claims that the company uh, and the claims that the company had lost all of its sponsors was laughably false and hinted that a lawsuit may be on the horizon. We only got a couple of minutes left in the show here, Gonzo, but this is a I think it's a very important article for a couple of reasons. Number one, appearances and everything. Things are not always what they seem. I don't know what's true here. I don't know if he's using substances, but what I do know is that really this shouldn't be all out in the public. And I'm going to actually stick up for BitBoy on this stance. If he has a substance abuse issue, which is what Hit Network is alleging, the last thing they should do is go to these public networks and put out a public statement like they did yesterday saying, we're hopeful he can get help with his physical and uh, mental abuse of the people in this association. If somebody's struggling with drug, drug abuse, provide them with help, tell them they need to take a step back and move forward. Don't put out these public documents saying they're using cocaine like it does in this article. I found that to be very disappointing. One of the things that uh, Mexi, who's a friend of the show, she said Ben has come forward and he has talked about his sponsors. They're not working with Hit Network. So that's pretty interesting. That is that is some inside information there. And Mexi also commenting live on the show. She said Ben is only taking Fetamine and testosterone. He has not relapsed. So that's very positive news. Thank you for sharing that, Mexi. Breaking information. Ben Armstrong has not relapsed. So that's, a, that's some great positive news for our listeners. Gonzo, we got a couple of minutes here. I'm going to give you the floor. Respond. Let's just have a back and forth. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's really sad just because, you know, Ben, whether you love him or hate him, he's done a lot for the space. He's done a lot for content creators and creating shows and an avenue for able to be to come on. I don't know him personally. He's been on the show. Um, It just, it's sad. And for the people that are in the Academy that know the warrior ecosystem, it would be like when you talk about TJ turning on BitBoy, it would be like Jeremy turning on JV. Like that, that's like, you know, J- Jeremy and JV, right? That they're they're the duo that they've created this whole thing. And it would be like Jeremy turning on JV. That's what like you're witnessing. And it's really sad. Uh it's really like there's a lot of chaotic energy. Um, like 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 you like we were talking about before the show, abs, like this kind of stuff shouldn't be put out there, right? Like your their their your team is gonna like you know JV talked about this. You're gonna vibe yourself on the team, and sometimes you vibe yourself off the team. And we wish when somebody vibes off the team, we wish them well, and we support them in whatever the new endeavors are, and we leave it at that. Like, and not that anyone's ever been like kicked off our our team. I'm just saying, like, if we did have a situation like that, we definitely wouldn't putting be putting out people's dirty laundry and, and, and just, you know, I guess we just have a different frequency. You you could see that there was like an energy shift there, right? Like ever since like the SBF thing and some of the crazy things that were going on, there just felt like there was a frequency shift and and then, and it's just kind of grown from there. Um, And, and it's just, it's sad and it's just crazy. Last thing I would like to say, guys, is Big Boy, Big Boy. I mean, BitBoy did take on a couple of big enemies while he was working for Hit Network. I remember he went to SBS home, called out Gary Gensler on a daily basis. And what Mexi is saying here, and this is all he, he say, she say, it's all just fun conversation. But Ben has stood up against corruption, and this is the ultimate corruption and betrayal. You, meet, you drew the comparison between Jeremy and Coach JV. I think one of the things that's really different and unique about our company is we came together not for money. That's probably how I could best summarize it. 
None of us came here for a big paycheck. We came here because we love JV. We love the message and we wanted a community we could communicate with. None of that has to do with dollars and cents. And I think that's what went down here. But guys, I got to end this show abruptly so we can keep it below an hour. Thank you so much for joining us today. And like we always say, warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. And we love you, Ben. Sending love and high vibrations. Yeah. See you guys later.